Good morning. It is so good to see everyone here this morning. If you're visiting, we are glad that you are here. And I do see several visitors. I hope our members will uh, look around. If you see a face you don't recognize, please go out of your way to make them feel welcome. We'll meet again tonight at 6 o'clock to continue our worship. And of course, we'll have Bible class when worship is finished today. This morning, we're going to be talking about some questions about the afterlife, or maybe I should have called it some answers about the afterlife. Number of questions that I have received over the years relating to this subject. On November the 14th of 2006, a six-year-old boy by the name of Alex Malarkey and his father, Kevin Malarkey, were involved in a car accident on a highway in Rushylvania, Ohio. Alex suffered various injuries in this accident. He had a severe spinal cord injury, a neck injury, brain trauma, and he was left as a quadriplegic. In fact, he was in a coma for two months. And that was in 2006. In 2010, Alex, along with the help of his parents, wrote a book called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, True Story. Maybe you're familiar with the book. It was a big hit at the time. This book purported to tell the story of his experience while he was in this coma. Alex said that he went to heaven, he saw things, he experienced them, and then he came back and with the help of his parents, he wrote about this. The book was published by Tyndall House Publishing in 2010. It was a commercial success. It sold over a million copies. The family made a lot of money on this. And then in March of 2010, it was made into a television film. But in 2011, Alex Malarkey came out and said that the book was Malarkey, strangely enough. He said that it was fake. In fact, his words were, it was one of the most deceptive books ever written. He wrote an extensive repudiation in an open letter to Christian bookstores in 2015. He said his near-death experience was a fabrication. As a result of this, Tyndall House removed the book from print, and almost any Christian bookstore took it off their shelves, and it is more difficult to find now. My question is this, why was that book such a success? And the answer is, people are fascinated with what happens to us after we die. Out of all the videos that I have done that are online, by far the most popular one ever done is, where do we go when we die? It has over 5 million views now. Why is that? It's what everyone wants to know. Everyone thinks about, everyone wonders what happens when we die. I have been asked a great number of questions relating to this topic. And so for the next several minutes this morning, we're going to deal with some of these questions relating to the afterlife. Here is the first one. Will we know one another in heaven? I have been asked this question so very many times. And the answer to that is Absolutely we will. There's no doubt about it. I think passage after passage teach us this. Very briefly, I'm going to answer this right now. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, this is the classic passage dealing with this. This verse was written to comfort Christians who had lost loved ones, 
And Paul says to them, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Now, those who have fallen asleep means Christians who have died. And then he says this, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Some versions say, comfort one another with these words. So the point is this, your loved ones who are Christians have died, but you're going to see them again. Take comfort in that. Here's my question. What comfort would there be if you're not going to know each other? Is he saying on the day of judgment, you're all going to come together, but you're going to be total strangers? Take comfort in that. That doesn't make any sense. Now, somebody might say, well, Don, this scene in 1 Thessalonians 4, this is not heaven yet. This is the day of judgment. But notice what he says in verse number 17. Then we who are alive, that is, the Christians who are living at the time that the Lord comes on the judgment day, those of us who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we, that is, we, along with our loved ones who died before us, will forever be with the Lord. So what he says is living Christians are going to be reunited with the dead Christians, and then we are forever going to be together. What comfort would this be if we're not going to know each other? We absolutely will know each other in heaven. This passage and many passages in the Bible teach this. Here's another question that sometimes comes up. Aren't there some brethren, some Christians who believe that we go straight to heaven or straight to hell when we die and that there is no intermediate state? I have done a lesson many times over the years in almost every gospel meeting, where do we go when we die? And I talk about the fact that when we die, we don't go straight to heaven or hell. We go to a waiting area called the Hadean realm. It is Hades. In Hades, there are two places. There is paradise and there's torment. This question is, aren't there some who believe that there is no Hades? You go straight to heaven when you die, straight to hell when you die. The answer is yes, there are absolutely folks who believe that. And let me say from the get-go, I don't think this is a fellowship issue. If I go to paradise when I die or I go straight to heaven, I'm happy either way with that. I don't think this is a fellowship issue. But with that said, I think they're mistaken about this. Now, I've got several verses here that I want us to consider. Number one is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. It indicates that all of the righteous will go to heaven at the same time. Listen to this. It says all of these. Remember, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. That is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these faithful who have died before us. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What's he saying? They haven't received the reward yet. They won't receive it apart from us. We're all going to get the reward at the same time. They haven't gone to heaven yet. The second passage, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostle John said, No man has seen God at any time. Now, this was written near the end of the first century, and yet John says, no man has seen God. If we go straight to heaven when we die, how could that statement possibly be true? Here's a third one. John chapter 3 and verse 13, the apostle John affirmed, no one has ascended into heaven yet except Jesus Christ. That pretty well answers the question in my mind. No one's gone straight to heaven. Only Christ has gone to heaven. 
Here's the next one. This is from Matthew 24, 34. If we do go straight to heaven when we die, I want you to think about the implication of this. Matthew 25 is, is the judgment scene. So what you would have is this. People die, and they go to heaven, and then on the judgment day, they come back out of heaven, and they stand before Christ at the judgment, and Jesus says to them, Come, ye blessed. Come, ye blessed of my, my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, and then they go back into heaven. That would be very strange language. That doesn't make any sense. Next, Matthew 25, 14 through 29. This relates to some of Jesus' parables about the judgment day. We could cite several. One of them is the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 19. In that parable, it's not until the Lord comes that the servants hear the words, Enter ye into the joys of our Lord. Same thing about the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. It's not until the bridegroom comes. That represents Christ. Not until the bridegroom comes do the, feast get to in, do the guests get to enter into the feast. Here's the next one. This is from Luke 14 and 1 Peter 5. Brethren, many passages teach us that the righteous will receive their reward on the last day. Not when they die but on the last day. Luke 14, 13 and 14 says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What does that mean? On the day of resurrection, when all of the just, all of the righteous are resurrected, that's the day the reward will come. And 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears, who's the chief shepherd? It's Jesus, right? When Jesus appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So what's the point of that? We all get the reward when Jesus appears. So I believe we do not go straight to heaven. Everyone gets rewarded at the same day. That is the day of judgment. All right, here is the next one. If we don't go straight to heaven when we die then how do you explain 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8? It says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the argument goes something like this. God is in heaven. We agree with that. And if we're absent from the body, that means our soul leaves our body. And it says it's present with the Lord. And the Lord is in heaven. That must mean that we go to heaven. Some people also use the second passage that I have up here, Philippians 1.23, where Paul describes, he says, the King James, he says, I'm in a strait betwixt two. We don't talk that way. What he's saying is, I'm torn between two things. That is, for the sake of the brethren, I want to stay here, but to depart, now listen to this part, and be with the Lord is far better. So people say again, the Lord is in heaven. Paul said, when he departs, he will be with the Lord, which implies that he goes to heaven. If we don't go straight to heaven when we die, how do you answer that? The first thing I would point out would be this, and I've got some passages along the bottom, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul did not expect to receive his eternal reward immediately when he died. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, this is what Paul said. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, that is my reward. When are you going to get it, Paul? He said, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who love his appearing. 
Paul was not expecting to get his reward when he died, but he said, I'm going to get it on that day. But I'm not the only one who's going to get it. All of those righteous are going to get it on that day. Paul expected to be rewarded the same time as all the other Christians. I would also cite all the other passages that we just looked at. Then somebody says, well, then, Don, what do these passages mean? When he says to depart and be with the Lord, what does that mean? I think it simply means to be in the comforts of the Lord. You know, people who believe that we go straight to heaven when we die, most of them don't believe that it used to be that way. This is a belief that some brethren hold. They believe that in the Old Testament when people died, they went to Hades, that is the waiting place, because they believed that Jesus had to be the first one to go to heaven. So everyone who died prior to Jesus' resurrection, they went to the waiting place, Hades. After Jesus resurrected and went to heaven and he was there first, then Hades was emptied. There didn't have to be a waiting place. And from that time on, from Jesus forward, everyone goes straight to heaven. That's the argument and that is the belief. And they've got a few passages that they appeal to. But I want you to consider this. Let's go back to the Old Testament when they believed that people went to paradise or torment, the waiting place, and let's see what some of those verses teach. In the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, Solomon says this. He says that when we die, the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, they believe in the Old Testament that the soul went to paradise, the waiting place, but the Bible says the Spirit returned to God who gave it. How about this? Psalm 23 and verse 4, the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is, I die, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That is, when I die, the Lord is with me. But they believe that he went to paradise, but the Bible says the Lord is with me. Psalm 139 and verse 8, if I make my bed in Sheol. Sheol is actually the Hebrew word that is the equivalent of the New Testament word for Hades. What he is saying is, if I make my bed in the Hadean realm, that is paradise, listen, you are with me. So they believe in Hades, or the Bible says in Hades, the, the Hadean realm, paradise or torment, specifically paradise, God is with you. So what does that mean? It's always been the case that when a person goes to paradise, there's a sense in which you are with the Lord. So I don't believe that these passages teach that you go straight to heaven. I think there is a very good answer for these. Here's the next one. If the righteous do not go straight to heaven when we die, then why does 1 Thessalonians 4.14 say that God will bring the righteous dead with him? This is the argument. They'll say, 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those who sleep in Jesus, that's dead Christians. So they say they've gone to heaven, if the Lord is going to bring them with him, that implies they are in heaven with him. I don't think that's what the text says. I think they're assuming he's going to bring them from heaven. The text simply says he's going to bring them with him. I understand that to mean this. On the day of judgment, the Lord is going to empty the Hadean realm. That is, everyone who's in paradise will come out of paradise and then the Lord is going to bring, him, bring them with him. 
in spirit form. They won't have a body yet. Their bodies will be resurrected from the earth, and then they'll be reunited so that 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. That is, those in Hades are going to rise first. He's going to bring them with him. And then we who are alive will be changed, and we will meet them in the air. And so I don't believe that teaches that they come from heaven. I think that's a, an idea that people have to try to further this argument. All right, here's the next one. So what about the idea that the righteous used to go to Hades, but now they go straight to heaven? This is what I was just alluding to. How do you explain that? Well, first I would say we just mentioned several passages, but as a proof, I want you to consider this. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 34 is the day that the church began. It's the day of Pentecost. And Peter makes an argument to the Jews on that day. His argument is in Acts 2.34, and he argues based on Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. This is the passage he quotes. For I will not leave my soul, for you did not leave my soul in Hades, nor did you allow your Holy One to rot or see corruption. Peter is making a point. The Jews think that this verse is about David. Peter is saying this is not about David. This is about Jesus. His soul was not left in Hades. That is paradise. His body did not see corruption. And then he says to them, Men and brethren, let me speak freely about the patriarch David. He is both dead, that is, he's in Hades, and his tomb is with us until this day. What is he saying? David's soul is still in Hades, and David's body is still seeing corruption. It is rotting in the tomb. Now, what is the point of that? The point is simply this. Jesus has erect, uh, resurrected and ascended back into heaven. His soul is not in Hades, but David has not resurrected. David's soul is still in the Hadean realm. So what's the point? Nobody's ascended into heaven. David hasn't even ascended into heaven. Only Jesus Christ. All right, here is the next one. Why does the Bible describe people who are dead as asleep? Would that word indicate that they are not conscious or that they are not interacting? This is a great question. The Bible actually uses this terminology a lot. One of the places it comes to my mind is John chapter 11. You remember after Lazarus had died, Jesus told his disciples, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, Lord, that's good. If he's sleeping, he needs the rest. He's been sick. And finally, they don't get it. So in John eleven fourteen, Jesus finally flat out said, Lazarus is dead. When he says that he's asleep, he means that he is dead. So the question is, why does the Bible refer to death as sleeping? Does that mean that they're not conscious? You know, some people actually teach this. There are some religions that teach a doctrine called soul sleeping, and they use verses like this to support it. They say that when a person dies, he just becomes unconscious. And he stays that way until the day of judgment. So what happens is you die and then you open your eyes and you're in the judgment because you knew nothing during that time period. And they use this and other verses to teach it. I don't believe that is true at all. You read Luke chapter 16, the Lazarus who died, there's a different Lazarus, but that Lazarus, 
He's awake. He's being comforted. You read about the rich man. He died. He's in torment and he's suffering, but he's awake. He is very much conscious. When we die, we are aware and we are conscious. Then why does the Bible refer to death as being asleep? Well, there's a comparison there. And notice the body is referred to as being asleep, not the soul. The soul has left the body. The soul is awake. The soul is conscious. The, the soul is interacting. But the body is asleep. Why would he say it's asleep? Because sleep is temporary. And when you're asleep, you're going to get up again. Why would you describe the body as asleep? Because it's just lying there, but there's going to be a resurrection. It's going to get up again. You see the point? I thought it was very interesting when I was looking this up. Our English word for cemetery actually derives its meaning from a phrase that means a sleeping place. A cemetery is a sleeping place. Those who are in Hades, paradise or torment, they're not sleeping. They are very much con conscious. The soul is awake. The body is asleep. Here's the next one. Can the living communicate with the dead? No, they cannot. I remember when I was a kid, a friend introduced me to something called a Ouija board. If you're not familiar with it, Google it. It's hard to spell, so good luck with that, finding Ouija board. But they introduced me to it, and you put your hands on this, and you move it around the board to different letters, and supposedly a spirit from the dead will guide you to um, spell out things. And I remember that we supposedly met a spirit from the 1800s, and his name was Bud. And Bud talked to us about things that happened. Well, it's nonsense. That does not work that way. I suppose people want to communicate with the dead, sometimes out of curiosity. Mainly the reason people want to do it is they are so grieved at the loss of a loved one, they are desperate to talk to them again. And sometimes in their bereavement, they hear about psychics who can supposedly make a connection with people on the other side. And then there are spiritualists who are all too eager to take advantage of a person's grief and desperation. And you know, this is not a new thing. This has always been that way where there have been spiritualists. In fact, in the Old Testament, God forbade it. He said to the children of Israel, you cannot have divination, witchcraft, sorcery, wizardry, uh, mediums, or necromancy. You know what necromancy is? Necromancy is a person who supposedly would let a spirit of a dead person inhabit their body and talk through them. And so they would start to talk in a different voice. And supposedly that person is talking through them. But it was fake. They were taking people's money. The only exception when God would, the only exception to this is a very few times when God would actually bring a person back to talk. Now somebody might say, well, Don, what about 1 Samuel 28? What about the witch at Endor? Didn't she call Samuel up to talk to King Saul? In 1 Samuel 28, Saul went to a witch, a medium, a supposed necromancer, and he wanted to talk to the prophet Samuel who had died. Now, a couple things are worth noting. Number one, this was forbidden by the law of Moses, and it was forbidden by King Saul. But number two, Saul is the one doing it, and he's desperate. Anyway, this woman, uh, Endora, that's not really her name, but she lived in Endor, 
she did her hocus pocus and she was going to pretend that she's channeling Samuel through her, but 1 Samuel 28, 12 says Samuel really came up and when she saw him, the Bible says she screamed with a loud voice. Why did she scream? Because it scared her out of her wits. She's a fake. Normally, she would fake this and she'd have a ceremony and probably change her voice, but on this occasion, Samuel actually appeared and this time he doesn't speak through her, he speaks for himself. Now what's up with this? God brought Samuel back, not this witch. And so people today who claim to be doing seances, they are fake. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5 says, The dead know not anything under the sun. Under the sun means this world. That means the dead cannot interact with the living. This sermon is getting longer than I thought it was going to be. Let me do one more here and I'll, I'll stop with this. In thinking about the resurrection of the dead, there are several examples of people in the Bible who were resurrected. And so this question comes up. Was it the case that all of the people who were resurrected, did they all come back from paradise? Or was anyone ever brought back from torment? This is a very interesting question, but the answer would be this. Every person in the Bible who was ever raised from the dead was a righteous person. If you think about this, you've got several examples of children. They were innocent. They were righteous. You've got a Christian woman named Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. You've got Lazarus, Jesus' friend, in John chapter 11. You've got Eutychus in Acts chapter 20. He died in a worship service during a long sermon. Matthew 27 and verse 50, you remember after Jesus died, there were a number of people who were resurrected. Matthew 27 and verse 51 says, the earthquake, the rocks were split, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming out of the graves after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. And it makes sense, because can you imagine if God brought a person back from torment? they would be getting a second chance. You'd have a second chance philosophy, and God would be a respecter of persons. What he is saying is some people died lost, and I'm going to bring them back, and certainly they're going to change that time. But if you've been to paradise, I've thought about this. Can you imagine being in paradise? You finally made it. You get to the place of reward, and the Lord brings you back. I guess it would be a powerful motivator, a powerful motivation to be faithful because you want to go back there again. All right, I'm going to stop there. I very much enjoy thinking about heaven. I enjoy thinking about the afterlife. And we want to be prepared to go there. The only way a person can be prepared to go to heaven is by obedience to the gospel. Having his sins washed away in the blood of Jesus, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. Maybe this morning you want to learn more about that. Maybe you're ready, you're prepared, you're ready to do that. We're ready to assist you. If we can take your confession today and baptize you into Christ, we would be thrilled to do that. Maybe you're here as a member of the Lord's Church, but you've been unfaithful. Maybe this morning you desire the prayers of your brethren on your behalf. We would be honored if we could go to God and pray for you today. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.